0: Now, I think you would be hard-pressed to find a person that doesn't love a story of redemption in movies, in books, in life, and with the people that we know. I, for one, like to follow the sport of boxing a little bit, and the current top heavyweight champion of the world, Tyson Fury, has quite the remarkable story. The heavyweight champion, Tyson Fury, was actually born three months premature and weighed only one pound at the time of his birth. All the doctors were saying that he had a very low chance of survival. The outcome was looking grim, but against the odds, he made it through. Despite being only a pound at birth, he quickly grew, and by the age of 10, he took up boxing, and by 14 years old, he was already six foot five and towering over his peers. He rose up the ranks quickly and was even ranked third in the world at the junior level of amateur boxing before going pro in 2008. And as he began his pro career, he went 24 straight fights without a loss on his way to fighting the current champion, Vladimir Klitschko, and someone he had looked up to for a long time as he was rising up the ranks. Incredibly, he won the fight and the heavyweight titles on the line, completing an unlikely rise to the very top of the heavyweight division. But... Despite reaching the pinnacle of his sport and taking home these heavyweight titles, not long after the fight, Fury ended up falling into a deep depression, stopping his training and stating that he had lost all motivation to fight. Spiraling even further, he began resorting to things like taking cocaine and began a descent into alcoholism and grew to over 400 pounds as he dropped to rock bottom. Tyson's mental state was so bad at one point that he said that he had lost the will to live and didn't want to continue on. He even gave up the titles that he had won and he decided to take some time away from boxing to deal with the most difficult time he had faced in his life. Battling through all that that had come up against him over the next few years, he ended up mounting a comeback to the ring. He overcame his addictions, recovered in his mental health, and got back to the gym and dropped all the weight that he had put on and returned to the fitness he needed to get back into the ring once again. Nearly three years from that last title fight, Fury made the unlikely return to the ring. He would go on to win not only his first fight back, but return to the pinnacle of his sport, winning back the titles he had given up before. You know, many of us love these redemption stories the idea that someone can overcome insurmountable odds with the deck stacked against them and all hope seemingly lost for them. But when they rise to the occasion and prevail in the face of defeat, it inspires and encourages us. And as we continue on in our series here, that's really what it's been all about the story of the coming king that would redeem humanity. Now we started off with the story of Tamar, and then we moved to Rahab, and now today we're talking about David. So hope that stays on. <laughs> now, as we continue this week, we make our way not to just any story of redemption, but one of a royal redemption in who we know as King David. So if you have your Bibles with you or your Version app, you can turn to Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. We're going to take a look at the family line of Jesus. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Now, as we arrive at King David in the family line here, he himself had quite the story. Really, he also came from nothing. He was the youngest of eight brothers, and as it says, he was the son of Jesse. David was a shepherd who would tend to the fields and to the flock, protecting them, exactly what one would call humble beginnings. And despite these humble beginnings, God reveals to the prophet Samuel that a son of Jesse is going to be the next king. After Samuel goes and he visits Jesse in search of the king, he passes over all of the seven older brothers and calls for the youngest who comes in from the fields, that being David. Of course, as you might have heard, he goes on to take on Goliath and win not only the battle, but the hearts of many of his countrymen. He serves King Saul faithfully, despite Saul's distrust of him and even during his attempts to kill him all the while having faith that God will work things out in his time. Eventually, David ascends to the throne and becomes Israel's greatest king and being described as a man after God's own heart. Now, of course, that is the expedited version of David's story, especially considering he is the most covered person in the entirety of the Old Testament, but it gives you an idea of who he was. As we get into this, it is incredibly important to note that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. Of David, aka a descendant of him. We see proof of this not only in the genealogies listed in Matthew and Luke, but also throughout the New Testament, as well as the fact that he is constantly referred to as the son of David. We see it in Matthew 9, 27, where it says, As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Then in Matthew chapter 12, verse 23, it says, All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? Matthew 15, 22. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Matthew 21, 9. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. These are just a few of the times we see Jesus referred to as the son of David. But why exactly is this so important that he was in fact the son of David? Well, here's the thing: in order to fulfill the prophecies about him, Jesus would in fact need to be a descendant of King David. And this leads us to Second Samuel chapter 12 to 16, where this prophecy comes from. It says this: When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod, wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God reveals this to the prophet Nathan, who then tells David this. It's to this faithful David that God makes this covenant prom- promise in 2 Samuel 7, one of the most important stories in the Old Testament. God says that one day he will raise up from David's line a descendant, literally in Hebrew, seed, that will build a temple and rule over an eternal kingdom. This king will be so closely aligned with God's will, he will be like God's son, and God will be this king's father. And reading that passage, you might think, wait, what does that part that says, when he does wrong, or in another translation, when he sins mean? You know, I thought this was referring to the coming of Jesus. This wouldn't make sense since Jesus is, well, perfect. And you're right, it doesn't. You know, and that's because this isn't a direct messianic prophecy, which just means a prediction or a foretelling of the Messiah or Savior, in the sense of a prediction and fulfillment. This divine promise is setting you up to read about all the descendants of David, uh, David's line who are going to fail terribly and never live up to the humble faith of their ancestor, David. Even after the line of David completes their royal failure and runs the nation of Israel into the ground, this divine promise still stands. It's this enduring hope of a future king who will not be like David's descendants and will not be like David when he took advantage of Bathsheba. This is the seabed of the biblical prophet's vision of a future messianic king. This hope is seen all over over the prophetic books. One day, another king is going to come who won't repeat the failures of Saul. He will be like David, or as Jeremiah and Ezekiel put it, this new king will simply be David. Jeremiah 30, verse nine says, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. And Ezekiel 34:23 says, then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. These two prophets, they lived on to see the descendants of David get hauled off into captivity in exile, just as God said would happen. But when they looked for the future fulfillment of God's promise, they didn't look for a new Saul or even a new Solomon. Rather, they hoped for a new David, another humble king who would submit to God's will. A king with radical trust in God his father, who would allow his father to exalt him in the proper A king who came from Bethlehem like David and who had no outward features to mark him out as God's anointed one. A servant like King David who wouldn't shove away or shove his way into power. Israel's true king who would even be persecuted by his fellow Israelites. Now, we see this hope for a true king time and time again throughout the Old Testament. We see this in Psalm 132.11 where it says, The Lord swore an oath to David a sure oath he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I will place on your throne. Again, in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, it says, In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. Amos 9:11 says, In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins. And we will rebuild it as it used to be. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely, and do what is just and right in the land. And then finally, Ezekiel 37:25 says, that they will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. You see, the ancient prophets and believers knew that one day their awaited Messiah would come. It wasn't actually a surprise. Repeatedly, Jesus' arrival was prophesied about. In the waiting, they went through king after king who rose and fell. Nothing and no one could come close to what Jesus would bring, not even David. You see, David was the perfect image of what the Israelites were hoping for in Jesus. One who would bring them to prominence and power, a leader of an earthly kingdom that rose to the top and brought his nation with him. And so many times we have people on the earth trying to build up their own kingdoms, even churches trying to build up a kingdom of their own. But what we need, we don't need kingdoms of churches we don't need kingdoms of people or cities or countries or anything like that what we need is a kingdom built squarely on jesus and this is where so many kings went wrong in the old testament time after time after time they would take up this mantle of power and what they would do with it they would turn from god and time and time again they would fall away and yet here we have this promise This promise that was prophesied about for generations, generation after generation. And still, even in the midst of this brokenness of the world, even in the midst of the brokenness of these people and these kings and these people in power, and yet the promise remained. The promise was not broken. It could not be shaken. And here we are now with Jesus coming to the earth, establishing his eternal kingdom. A kingdom that will not fall. A kingdom that cannot be broken by anyone on this earth. It cannot be shaken by the failings of any man. Thankfully, Jesus didn't arrive arrive, like so many kings before him did. He redeemed generations of brokenness and failures. When Jesus came to earth, he brought so much more than any earthly king had in the past. He was the fulfillment of so many prophecies before him. And David, he was just a small taste of what was to come. Don't get me wrong, David was an incredible king. But he still had his failings. We see that with the story of him and Bathsheba and Uriah. And he fell. And there were consequences for that. But when we put our trust in man... Things are bound to fall apart. Things are bound to go wrong. And yet when we put our faith in Jesus and His kingdom and His um, people, it will never fail. It will never fall apart. The thing is, they even shared so many similarities. You know, both David and Jesus had God with them through the Holy Spirit. And yet, David failed. He was human. He was broken. They both had many enemies that they overcame. And yet, it was only David that fell to an enemy, not even of this world. It was temptation. They were both beloved by God. God was still there in the midst of David's reign and his failures and his successes. And yet, once again, David still fell. They were even both born in Bethlehem. But even David, in all his might and power, he never measured up. He never even came close. David was a shepherd before becoming king, but Jesus, he was a good shepherd. David was the king of Israel, but Jesus Christ was the king of kings. David conquered earthly kingdoms, but Jesus conquered spiritual realms. David helped deliver Israel from their enemies, but Jesus delivered his followers from the power of sin and death. Jesus' arrival to this world signaled a new era. One where kingdoms here mattered little, all the while establishing a kingdom that would have eternal significance. And don't forget that. It is of eternal significance. One that was the fulfillment of many prophecies and writing the brokenness of the kings that came before. And why, why exactly does this royal redemption matter for you and for me? Because this was the establishment of a kingdom that has eternal consequences for each of us and the entire world that we are a part of. It matters because no king nor kingdom on this earth could give us what King Jesus gave us on his arrival. A savior, a Messiah, the long-awaited king of kings. And on this Sunday where we're celebrating joy, we have a really great reason to have some today and every day. And I'm actually going to ask the worship team to play something that is really celebratory. Like... (laughs) because it is a great Sunday to celebrate Jesus. We have an incredible reason to invite people into the eternal kingdom that is the kingdom of Christ. That is what this Christmas season is all about. It is about the arrival of our Savior, the arrival of our Messiah, and we can't keep that to ourselves. So we have an entire world to tell about Jesus We have families to tell about Jesus. We have coworkers and schoolmates, and literally everybody that we walk past on the street, all of them need Jesus. This is a kingdom that never fails with a king that keeps every single one of his promises. And you see, so many people during this Christmas season, they may walk away from the church and they may not want anything to do with it because they've been hurt by people. People break promises, God never does. And that's who we put our trust in. We don't put our trust in people. We don't put our trust in kings or leaders or anybody else. We put our trust in Jesus. And Jesus redeemed the kingdoms, the broken kingdoms of this world, and he established his kingdom, the one that we celebrate, the one that we can have so much joy over. And it's a kingdom we're celebrating where everybody is invited in if they so choose and with a gift that can only be given because of the birth of our Savior. So this morning, let's celebrate the birth of our Savior. Let's celebrate the redemption of kings and kingdoms that have gone before and the king that came who reigns over all. Let's celebrate him today because we have no greater joy than the joy that we have in Jesus. Amen. So let's celebrate, the church. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much for the arrival of your son, the one that you sent to redeem so much brokenness, that you redeemed so many failures and kingdoms in the past. Father, I pray that people that are outside the church right now that have been hurt by leaders, that have been hurt by people from the church, Father, I pray that they would not put their hope in people, but they would put hope in their coming Messiah, the coming Savior, Lord, the only one that we can put our faith in. Jesus, we need you. We need more of you each and every day. Father, I pray that as we celebrate you this Sunday and this Christmas season, that Father, hearts will be mended, that Father, homes will be repaired, friendships will be restored, brokenness will be healed, Oh, Jesus, we need more of you. We need so much more of you. We don't need another leader. We don't need another king, because we got one. And he reigns over everyone. It doesn't matter what class they think they're a part of. It doesn't matter if they think they're above anyone else. Jesus is reigning over every single person on this earth because he breaks down those walls. Because there is no class when it comes to Christ, when it comes to accepting our savior, when it comes to that freedom that is only found in Jesus. That is for everyone. There is no hierarchy here. There is only Jesus. Father, we thank you so much. Father, I pray that each and every day that we were reminded of the joy that we can have in you. Father, may we never forget that, may we never lose that. Jesus, way too often we walk around as if we don't have the Savior with us, as if we weren't sent the King of Kings, as if we don't have a future hope. Father, remind us of that today. We need you so badly. So we thank you, Jesus. And Father, I pray that today, celebrate you with everything that we have that we praise your name and that father we seek out your presence in each and every moment and father this just becomes a place that is just so filled with the Holy Spirit father in each and every believer here today father we know that you are already here we know that your spirit goes with us wherever we are but father I pray that we would just welcome you in today that this would become a house of worship that it would become a house of praise we would just praise your name with everything that we have, Jesus. That we celebrate you today, Jesus. Amen.